Hey guys, and welcome to episode seven of the Birdie Breakdown. In this episode, I will be recapping the Orioles series win over the Chicago White Sox. And I will also be discussing when we think uh, that, when we believe that Gunnar Henderson will debut, as well as previewing this weekend's series in Houston when Trey Mancini uh, returns to play against the Orioles. Uh, This and much, much more next on the Birdie Breakdown podcast. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Birdie Breakdown Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ella Kainela, uh, the owner of Orioles Unified on IG and Twitter. We have Nelson with me uh, and a very special guest, Jacob, who who run, partly runs Talking Orioles on Instagram. Um, so I'll be recapping the series. Uh, Jacob, we're glad to have you. Welcome aboard. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so I'll be recapping the series, the White Sox series. So in game one on Tuesday, after a much-needed off day, uh, the Orioles uh, returned uh, against Chicago, but they came. They fell to a horrible start in game one. Chicago struck first blood. With A.J. Pollock on first, Eloy Jimenez launched a two-run home run, barely clearing the right field wall at the 373 sign. Facing one of the league's best pitchers, Dylan Cease, Baltimore came out guns blazing, a surprise to MLB and Orioles fans everywhere. After Cedric Mullins' single uh, and an Adley Rutschman single, Ryan, Mount- uh, Ryan Mountcastle came up to the plate and immediately struck gold. Ryan launched a monster homer over dead center, propelling the Orioles to a quick 3-2 lead in the first inning. Mountcastle smoked the ball at 106 miles per hour, miles per hour off the bat, hitting it a mammoth 420 feet. Both starters were shaky in the first inning, but really settled down. Uh, Austin both for Baltimore escaped a couple of jams, jams as he was working with traffic all night long. But Dylan Cease, on the other hand, was pretty much unhittable until the sixth inning after giving up the Mountcastle homer. In that sixth inning, Santander hit the single to extend Baltimore's uh, lead to 4-2 and then in Dylan Cease's night at that, much earlier than he wanted to. Uh, CNL Perez came in. Jacob, you know, you have a love for CNL. Uh, but Perez came in and he wasn't great as he gave up an RBI single to Andrew Vaughn. With a runner on third and two outs, Perez wiggled out of another jam, getting Elvis Andrews, a newly added acquisition to the White Sox, to ground into a force out to Urias at second. In the bottom of the seventh, after an Austin Hayes single, Jorge Mateo smoked the ball up the middle, and Baltimore extended their lead to 5-3. Uh, Joey Crable came in, but he struggled as well, and in walked the mountain, Felix Bautista coming into the whistle from uh, oh, the whistle from Omar. And uh, it, he was electric, just electric. You can't describe it. He was phenomenal. Bautista struck out the first pitty, pit batter, Luis Robert, on uh, uh, making him look foolish as Robert swung half-heartedly at the first pitch. Uh, and then he proceeded to hit Jimenez, loading the bases, uh, but got Abreu to strike out on a 3-2 count with the bases loaded. Bautista was electric in the ninth as he picked up his ninth save of the, his eighth save of the year. Uh, and he shut down Chicago's order as Baltimore took game one. In game two on Wednesday, it was a rough one from the very beginning. Spencer Watkins gave up two early runs as Chicago struck first on a Gavin Sheets two-RBI single in the center field. Again, Chicago went up 2-0 in the first inning, but the this time, Lucas Giolito, the White Sox starter, stifled Baltimore. Giolito only allowed four hits to the Orioles' offense, 
the only run coming on a Ryan Mountcastle RBI single in the fourth inning. Uh, it was a close game throughout, and after uh, after Spencer Watkins got taken out, that's where Chicago separated themselves. The Orioles' bullpen continues to struggle after after the Jorge Lopez trade, uh, everyone not named uh, Felix Bautista. And Keegan Aiken and Brian Baker allowed three runs combined, basically throwing the game away. Uh, Baltimore dropped game two in an ugly in ugly fashion, which was a tough pill to swallow as they dropped in the wildcard standings too. The third and final game of the series was the most wild and chaotic of them all, with Baltimore pulling off the comeback of the ages. Now, we all know what happened. Baltimore was trailing 3-2 heading in ninth, with the middle of the order due up. Santander popped up, Mountcastle struck out, on a 98-mile-per-hour fastball down and away from Liam Hendricks. And with two outs, Kyle Stowers dug in. This is where the script starts. Stowers, who has really been struggling up to this point, he was 0 for 13 with 6 Ks in his last 13 at-bats, got jammed on the first pitch, and he hit a pop-up into foul territory uh, to left fielder Adam Engel. And it looked like the game would end there. But Engel overran it and it hit off the tip of his glove falling to the ground for a harmless foul ball now this gave stowers a second opportunity and boy oh boy boy he did not miss stowers hit the game tying homer which was just electric the the crowd was going crazy kevin brown was going crazy and the best part of it all the orioles analyst brett hollander literally literally caught it he said after the adam angle drop quote that would be a great time for him kyle stowers hit his first career homer, and it came to fruition. Uh, After base running laps in the 10th, Baltimore won on a Santander RBI single to walk off the White Sox in the 11th, giving Baltimore more cushion. Yeah, I mean, it was just so crazy. I mean, the thing about it, like the last game especially, um, is that Engel was brought in for a defensive replacement, and then he cost the game for the White Sox. I mean, they were down to their last strike. They had the they literally had the game and they 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 fumbled it. It, it was crazy to see, um, but really good stuff from Stowers, who, as you said, I mean he had six strikeouts in his last thirteen abs, no walks. Um, it was pretty ugly, and as, as we know, all rookies are going to struggle. Um, but it was really good to see him break through in that way. Um, Brandon side Brandon Hyde said after the game that it looked like Stowers were just like flying around the, the around the bases. Um. I mean, it was just, it was so exciting, a great moment. Um, and yeah, they, I mean, that really, when you look at it, that, that moment really saved their season because if they lose that game, they're almost four games back of a wild card spot going into this ridiculously hard road trip in Houston and in Cleveland. And things are not looking that great heading into the last month of the season um, in September coming up here in a few days. Um, but yeah, the Orioles lose that game. They're a half game ahead of the White Sox. Um, they fall behind Minnesota and they get further and further back from Tampa Bay, who's cruising at this point. They're pretty much a lot to make it. Toronto, who just swept Boston, and then Seattle, who is playing Cleveland right now, but they're they still have they have the easiest strength of schedule amongst all of the playoff contenders. So the rookie stepped up in a big moment and it was amazing to watch. Yeah, it was just it was a huge momentum booster. I don't you can't put it any other way. The crowd going crazy. It, it was a storybook script for sure. I said before Kevin, I meant before after Angle dropped the ball. I'm like, before even Kevin said it, and Brett said it. I was like, he's gonna go deep. I'm like, you can't make this up. It's he drops the ball. There's an O2 count. 
Liam looked like he hung the pitch. It looked like a slider. He tried to get it outside on Stowers, and it just missed, and he hit it. And I saw Keegan Aiken walked over to the guy and got the ball back, which was pretty cool. And the bullpen has looked a little rocky. It's even CNL has kind of – there's been some ifs, and the whole bullpen in general, It's there's definitely a play in with the Lopez trade. But I think going into this last month, which is going to be by far the craziest month of September Orioles fans have had in a long time, that they need to they need to figure out what the issue is and they need to make adjustments. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that leads me into one guy who's flying under the radar for me. It's or for most Orioles fans, he was not like he was not he was flying under the radar for this one specifically. And even though he's been phenomenal all year, he's still getting disrespected by the national media. He should be in the rookie of the year race. And Brandon Hyde said so himself. It's Felix Bautista, the mountain. I mean, he did everything you wanted from him as a closer in in his two games that he pitched. In the first game, he got out of a bases loaded jam. And then in the second and then he proceeded to shut down Chicago's order uh and close the door in game one. And then the second game, he came in with the ghost runner rule, which all knows which we all know affects pitchers mentally because and defensively, because anything could happen. Uh, so there's basically a runner in scoring position to begin with. Uh, so he came in and he shut down Chicago again. It, you can't, it can't be overstated enough, and I can't stress it enough how good Felix Bautista has been this year up to this point. Yeah, and the thing about it for me, like especially in game one, is that he didn't have his best stuff. Like he 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 got into the bases loaded jam. Yeah, he got out of it and he got got the crazy five out save, but he didn't have his best stuff, and he was still able to shut people down. Like, it, I don't know, just the stuff that he has is so crazy. And then he comes back um, game three. I was listening to the White Sox broadcast um, in game one. Um, and they were saying, like, you know, yeah, even though Bautista, you know, hasn't had his best stuff today, we're probably not going to see him because he's pitched like 25, 30 pitches um, in this game. But then he comes back in game three and goes the ninth and then the tenth. Um, and then the Orioles walk it off. Um so, or it goes to 10th and then the 11th. Um, it's just really efficient, too, is the thing about it. Like, he got ahead of batters. Um, he didn't get behind, didn't walk guys. I don't think anybody got on base, um, which is, I mean, just it's just crazy, crazy to, to see from Batista. Um, and he was my player of the series, picking up the win on Thursday and then the save, um, the five-out save. It's just, imagine if he was our closer the entire season. Um, I know this bullpen is missing Jorge Lopez. Um, I don't think that's the the cause of why they're struggling right now. I think it's just because they've pitched so many innings um, and they're it's it's finally catching up to them, which is why, again, you need starting pitching and why contenders always have great starting rotations. And I think why you'll see Baltimore spend money in the offseason to get more to get, you know, more depth out of their length out of their starting pitcher, pitchers. Um, but yeah, Felix Bautista, regardless of what the rest of the bullpen has done, regardless of how shaky they've been, he's been a rock um and it's just been so consistent yeah so same goes for me he was my player of the series but i was debating between him and santander i mean it's basically i mean it, it wasn't close per se but i i have to give it to bautista not by a landslide but bautista was just like i said everything you wanted in him and he did it and that was i'm just really proud of him from seeing where he started 
in Cuba to being an A ball last year, and now he's here. And he's intimidating batters. Like you said, even though he doesn't have his best stuff, he's still just he's still deceptive with his stuff. And it's just it's fun to see. I agree with you guys. I I mean there is a I feel like there's there can be no no one player of the series because there's so many guys that have impacted the series and got us the series win. My my three were Batista, Santander, and Stowers. But Stowers only had that had that uh, game tying home run. But it you gotta give it to Felix. The five out save game one and then game two comes in with a ghost runner in the tenth and eleventh and locks it down. No hits allowed. And I think he struck out um, probably more than half of the guys he faced. It if he was our closer the whole year. I think he would receive a lot of rookie of the year votes because I'm sure he, they would, he would have burst him onto the scene. And you're right. All rookies do struggle like Stowers, but what happened with Adley? Adley started off a little bit slow. He started to develop and he got hot. He was patient. He's now patient at the hit plate. He's, he has gotten a lot more base hits. And I think, I think Stowers needs a little more development up here. I don't think we should send him down. I think it's his time, but you got to love what you see. And I just can't wait for the next guy to get the call. Elias yeah. said something about uh, DL Hall coming up in the September call-ups and maybe Gunnar Henderson. Yeah. But we've all been waiting for Gunnar, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, so I can't wait, and I, I, I mean, I don't know. Kyle Stowers, man, you just can't make it up. Like I said, it's a storybook script. Him running around the bases is something out of fantasy more than reality. It's something that you dream about when you're six years old and you want to make it to the major leagues. It was awesome to see. I can't over, I can't overstate that too. Uh, it was just, it was insanely clutch. It kind of reminded me of the Trey Mancini first career home run because. But it wasn't like the first hit was a home run, but it just had that feeling like him sprinting around the bases and like pure excitement. I just got that flashback. I don't know. I, I never felt like Mancini had like that type of, you know, emotion and like facial expression. I felt like he was always like always had that like straight face on him. But yeah, I, I don't know. It was really, really cool to see from Stowers. Um, I mean, rookies are going to struggle. Like, you know, he had that awesome homer um, to really save the season, but he had, you know, he was going through a rough stretch, and it's just good to see him break out of that um, and just, you know, stick with his approach. He knows that it works. And I don't know, the thing about that homer for me is that the pitch that it was on, it wasn't even a, a terrible pitch. It was outer third. It was away. And he still found a way to get his hands over and barrel it up and, like, hit it to dead center field, like 400 feet. That's crazy. Um, and it just shows the pop that he has and that he can still continue to develop because he's so young. Yeah, I feel like this is a moment where he can – it's definitely a big momentum boost. He can easily turn the corner, and it will be great to see him, hopefully, in the outfield outfield for years to come. We'll be talking about Gunnar Henderson and when he'll debut. So first things first, I wanted to give my thoughts on this. Uh, we saw reports from Rock Kabako, Nathan Ruiz, all those Orioles beat writers on Twitter – that he was going to likely debut this week. And it's still a possibility, but it'd have to be this weekend on the road in Houston. And honestly, I truly doubt that would happen. I, I just don't see it. So 
I think he could debut on the road against Cleveland. Uh, so I think it's just a wait and see scenario at this point in my eyes. I mean, so we have this road trip, right? And Elias has said that, you know, this is the most crucial start to start of the season. If we don't do well here, then our chances aren't looking great. We're already like three games back. We need to make up some ground here and we have a chance to do so. Um, but after the road trip, we're back against Oakland, um, September 2nd, 3rd and 4th. Um, and, I'm going to the game on Saturday, so I'm hoping that he debuts then, or at least he's on the team then, and I get to watch him. Um, but yeah, I'm, I really do think that it might be he might be a September call up. Uh, but as we were talking about before, um, to be on a playoff roster, you have to be on the on the 26 man before September 1st. So I don't know what Elias is going to do there. Do you debut him on the road? I mean, he's the number one prospect in baseball. Yeah, he doesn't have the same – he's not He's not an Adley Rutschman guy, like, you know, level hype. But he's still the number one prospect in baseball, and you'd want him to de- debut at home. So Oakland is a perfect time to do it, although, like we were saying, it's in September, and you, you lose that playoff eligibility. Um, and the reason you're bringing this a guy up like like Tennyson is to keep him for a playoff, a playoff push. Um, so the timing is kind of tricky. Um, so we'll see what Elias ultimately does. I want him to debut at home, but you have to do it now because of the September 1st and the playoffs. Like, if we make the playoffs, doesn't he have to be on the team before the first? Yes. Yeah, he does. Nelson just said that. Uh, he also posted on his Twitter a couple weeks ago, I believe. It was, uh, yeah, he posted on his Twitter. He said that he has to be caught up between now – well, now, obviously, but it was August 24th and September 1st, so he can maintain his rookie status, which he will next week or next year if he gets called up. And so, yeah, he has to be called up by September 1st to be on the playoff, 40 man playoff roster. I mean, I don't see the, I don't see the unlikeliness that he plays against Cleveland. It would, it would make sense because Cleveland is, they're leading their division. And, um, if you want, you need to take every series seriously now because you lose a series, you drop. You you probably move two spots down. And I think that if we, if we lose a couple series, it knocks the momentum. It shakes it. And may, we haven't lost more than two or three games this year in a row. I think it was three. And if you keep it like that, there's a good chance you sneak into that third spot, depending on what goes on with the two, uh, with Toronto, Tampa Bay, and Seattle. Seattle's playing Cleveland, like Nelson said. Um, to- Toronto swept the Red Sox, so it's it's down to the last month. You got to see what happens. It's it's expecting unexpected. Yeah. So. I also believe that the front office is kind of surprised by this because uh, even I believe even in their like wildest dreams slash expectations, I don't see that the front office could have believed this year was coming. Even I couldn't believe it was coming. And I'm sure that's the same for Orioles fans everywhere. So maybe they're still reeling it in and they don't want to mess up this development project that they have by calling up dudes too early. Uh, I mean, Manny Machado, this is an example. He got called up from, Bowie in 2012 straight from double a and he was great so maybe the same could be with gunner 
but there's also the I mean obviously Gunners in AAA, but there's obvious obviously that the potential that Gunners confidence dies in the big leagues and he doesn't pan out, which is unlikely, but maybe Elias has that in the back of his mind. So that's also another possibility to consider when you are debating when Gunners when or if Gunners should come up at all. It's it's gonna happen. It's just a matter of when. I mean, it, it could I mean it's unlikely, but it could happen in Houston. It could happen in game two. Um, but I don't I don't really see that happening. I, I really do hope though, it's in Cleveland. I think that makes the most sense. Um, it's a way, but you need him. You need him. Arias is not producing at the level that you need him to produce at. Yeah, you could you could platoon him with Gunner, at least for just the end of the year. You start Gunner against righties, Arias against lefties, because he hits much better against lefties. Um, but, yeah, I think you could see a, pl- a platoon situation um, with Henderson. So I, I wouldn't expect him to play every day, but at least just having him there and in the lineup, just not in triple A's, is a good thing for this for this team. Um, and it probably pushes Odor out the lineup sometimes. And that, that that's a good thing for us. Um, Odor has not played well at all. Um, his average is now under 200. He had that one hot series against Tampa. Um, but after that, he was in like an 0 for 15 stretch. Um, and that has not really looked up for him since that. Um, so we'll see. Um, if I had to pick a date, though, I would I would say it's against Cleveland. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I, I did say it was a matter of it, – it's going to be a matter – like you said, it's going to be a matter of if, not when. But, I mean, it, when, not if. But I, I don't I, – I can see it. Uh, and you, like you said, I really hope uh, – DOF mentioned this on our pod. I really hope that we – it was a couple weeks ago, but he mentioned that uh, Odor – I want Odor to stay and I completely agree with him on that because Odor, even though he's not good uh, and he's playing below average, we, I I don't think any of us were expecting uh, any more from him, but he's still obviously playing below average. His OPS is awful and he's batting below 200. So he's not good as an everyday player, but he's supposed to come here. He came here as a bridge player. So I'm not surprised, but uh, I feel like, if we he needs to stay as a veteran presence, he's been to the playoffs before. We all know what happened in Toronto, uh, between him and Bautista and that beef. But he's been to the playoffs. He knows what it's like to sneak into the playoffs, even to comfortably get into the playoffs. So he would be great as a veteran presence. And I really do hope we DFA someone like Tyler Nevin instead, because Nevin has been hot garbage, and I he I don't believe he will ever pan out in the big leagues. Well, if Odor doesn't play it every day, then who's going to? Is it going to be Vavra? He's in a one for 22. He's, as we saw, he almost sold the game, game three against Chicago um, with the throwing error. Yeah, Mountcastle could have picked it, but it was a bad throw. Um, so he, he can be a liability in the field. If he's not hitting, um, he's not going to hit for power. But if he's not getting on base, if he's not walking like he's not doing right now, if he's not picking up singles, then – I you got to play Odor over him because Odor has the you know chemistry with Mateo to turn to and like you said he's got the playoff experience but at for at least for this year you need Odor if he doesn't play every day fine but you need him on the team and on the roster um with these young guys cuz they need someone like that 
Yeah, and that's why I believe we didn't trade someone, even though he hasn't been to the playoffs, but Jordan Lyles, he's still a veteran presence. That's why I believe we didn't trade him at the deadline. He's like, him and Odor are pretty much our veterans on this roster. So they could be major to the clubhouse and the morale. And I think we've seen that. Uh, maybe that's a reason why we're winning. They've been so good in the locker room. Uh, and maybe it's boosted our team's our, our play, but who knows? That's behind the scenes stuff. But yeah, you just you just got to keep veteran guys. They you have to have at least a couple, uh, if anything, to be in the to have any success in the regular season. Yeah, I mean, I think with Lyles though, I mean, like if if you trade Lyles, then your rotation really is is a hot mess. I mean, yeah, they're pitching great now, but like you said, you need a guy. Um, who is going to give you innings, who's going to eat innings to save this bullpen. And if you don't have Lyles, the Orioles really consistently, consistently don't do that. Watkins has gone six his past couple outings. Kramer has been pretty nice. Um, but you need someone like Lyles who eats innings and who is a leader of a, of a rotation full of first-year guys and second-year guys. Um, and – yeah, I, I just yeah, I think it was the right move keeping him. And while he may not be the best pitcher as we've seen, he does have his up and downs. He still does give you he eats innings and he does not he rarely ever has a an awful game that takes you out of it. Yeah, I mean, even before the Red Sox game, uh well that was last week, but before the Red Sox game, he was so good at Camden. He only had like a two point seven two ERA. So I believe it was the right decision to keep him, and yeah. So I, I, it, we, we, I like. I, I can't reiterate this enough. You need to have these veteran guys on your roster come playoff time. Coming up next in our final segment, we'll be previewing the Houston series, and we'll be looking at the other wildcard teams ar- around us. So heading into today, uh, which is going to be August, uh, Saturday, August twenty seventh, for you guys. Uh, we don't know the outcome of the Friday game as we're recording this. It's in the third in- inning. It's nothing, nothing. Uh, but I'm scoreboard watching and I'm looking around. Uh, the Angels are up seven nothing in the uh, in the fifth over the Blue Jays, so that's good for Baltimore. And Tampa is up four three over Boston, which isn't great for Baltimore, but Boston still has a chance to come back. And Cleveland and Seattle play later. But uh, for this Houston series, we have Bradish pitching today versus McCullers. Uh, and Saturday, we have Creamer, who likes to continue his resurgence year against Jose Urquidy, who's been really solid for Houston. He's 12-4. and four. He has a 3.63 ERA. Uh, so that will be a tough game. And then the finale of the series, Sunday, Austin Voth against like one of the best pitchers in the league. He seems to be an Ironman. He's beating time, Justin Verlander. So Sunday is going to – Saturday and Sunday, it's not going to be easy. Obviously, Houston has a – a mammoth lineup, as we all know, and facing guys like Verlander and Urquidy, who have been really good, this can be uh, this can either be a really rough series or really a momentum boost for Baltimore, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, it's a make or break. I mean, your season is on the line here. I think against Houston, um, you need to, you can't get swept. If you get swept, you're not looking good because then you're only two games over five hundred. Um, well teams start to pull away but you you need to to make up some ground here and at least just try not to get swept we all know the Astros are great we all know that they're probably going to win um this series but 
we just have to try to fight. We've done it all year. We've shown that we can compete with teams who may have more firepower than us, um, but we have heart. So I'm looking forward to seeing if we can continue that um, in Houston. But, I mean, if you look at the wild card race, we're only two games, two and a half games back of um, Seattle as of Friday night. Um, and Toronto, we're three, three and a half games back of them, but we still play them 10 more times. So there's still a lot of time and a lot of opportunities to make up against a Toronto team who we've shown we can beat and we can beat handily. Yeah, so I was looking forward to the Sunday game the most. Uh, we were facing Verlander, like I mentioned. He's 16-3, has a 1.87 ERA. His stats are just absurd. His stuff is outrageous. There's no other way to put it. Uh, but we've shown that we've hit really good, really solid like Cy Young candidates. Well, Shane McClanahan. Alec Manoa's of the world. We've shown we can beat them. So that game will be really fun to watch. Both goes against Verlander. He faced Cease earlier this week. And he he was he pretty much outperformed Cease, although it was helped by the offense. He was really solid despite the traffic on the base pass. So this this that game, that Sunday game is a must watch for me. Yeah. And I think the key really for this series is to to score when you have opportunities. You're not gonna get a bunch of chances against this Houston um, rotation. As of right now, I mean, we're getting McCullough's pitch count up. We've got first and second with none out. Um, but the past two innings, at least in the first and second inning, um, the Orioles have missed on a bunch of opportunities. They've left runners in scoring position, and you can't do that against teams like this. You have to score when you have the chances to. Um, so, But if we can do that, if we can find a way to score with runners in scoring position, then I think we have a chance to win this series. Um, and surprising people. Yeah, and clearly it won't get any easier from here on out. We face Cleveland, uh, and then uh, we face Oakland, so that will be hopefully an easier series. But like you said, we played Toronto for for a while down the stretch. We also played Boston, get a couple division games in there. Those division games are huge. Boston, we only face a limited time. New York, we face once, and then we're done with them. So the past the next month is going to be fun to watch, but it's also going to be really stressful for Orioles fans. But I really can't wait to see what happens on the stretch. It's all it all comes down to this. It, I I don't I would have wished we had a little bit more comfort, but it's as a baseball fan in perspective, it's fun. It's fun to watch, but they, they these are some huge series against some really tough teams, and if you can't at least win a series every once every two series. I mean, I'd be the heaven we win every one, but um, if you don't win, then your playoff hopes are gone really quick. Yeah, we only have seven games against non-divisional opponents left that are not the Houston Astros. Um, so a, a really challenging final stretch for the Orioles and they need it. They've come so far this season. They've shocked the world. They've shocked themselves. Um, they've certainly shocked us. Um, and I'm not going to count them out. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but I'm rooting for these guys. Orioles magic, baby. Let's go. I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Let's go, O's, baby. The future is bright, and we're looking good for now. Uh, it's, it's definitely a year you can build off on. I've mentioned this also time and time again. But – if we, if it's like the Astros, I mean, no, not the Astros, the Mariners from last year who shocked everybody, uh, they weren't expected to do anything great. 
they almost they just barely missed the playoffs. They lost in game one sixty two. So I I hope that can be us without the loss in game one sixty two. But even if we make the playoffs, it's really something to build off of. We talked about the farm system, the young core. It's just fun to watch, and it'll only get better from here on out. Absolutely, it's. I know that the key pieces of our rebuild aren't here yet. I know Adley was a huge one, but um, it's only going to get better from here with Elias wanting to expand the payroll. You get a couple relievers, like better relievers than you have. You get a couple guys that can hit. You call up Gunner and Westberg when the time comes. Kobe Mayo, Cesar Prito. Um, there's a lot of things to think about for this offseason and coming up. But in the end... This has been a season that nobody will forget because it's we've proven everybody wrong. We're we were only supposed to we were I think not supposed to get a hundred wins this year, not losses this year, and we're already past that mark by that two games, and it's not even September. We still have a lot left to go, and all I, all is let's go O's. Yeah, so, yeah, like, uh, the ESPN, uh, I was watching the ESPN cast on Sunday Night Baseball last week, and they mentioned the over-under total for the, heading into this year for Baltimore, 62.5. So, that we've already beat that. We've already shocked the world. Uh, I just hope we can keep it up. We've shown our heart. We've shown our fight. We're, we're gritty. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be great. I, I just, I, I, can't, I can't wait for this uh, to come down to the final last couple of weeks of the season. Offense and bullpen, they're going to be the keys. Starting pitching can take care of itself. They've done fine. They've had a really, really great stretch um, here in, towards the end of August. Um, but the offense has been so inconsistent this year. We we know they can be so potent when they're on. We saw the 15 runs that they had um, earlier in the month of August. Um, but they also, you know, they had, a few, they had like four hits um, against Chicago one game, and they found a way to pull out a win. Um, but the game before that, they had three hits and left, you know, men on base. And you can't do that. Um, so the offense needs to pick it up. Um, they need to stay hot. They need to score as long as they scoring position. And um, But the bullpen, I think, is going to get a relief, you know, when D.L. Hall gets called up um, for September. And I really do think that it could they, they could turn things around. Um, I think we'll see that just start to happen as we get – you know, into the final weeks of the season. Um, so let's go out. Yeah, well, I'm just excited. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for episode seven of the Birdie Breakdown podcast. Jacob, I want to thank you again for hopping on with us. That was really fun. Thank you for having me. That was awesome. And we only hope for the best going forward. Yes, sir. Let's go us. Uh, well, as I said, that wraps it up for episode seven of the Birdie Breakdown podcast. We'll see you next. We'll see you after after Sunday for to preview the series against the Guardians. I can't wait to see you then.